Brother Becton, who was an elder in our movement, was also, well, he was going to be a classical pianist until the Lord called him to preach, and so a lot of times he would go, wherever he was preaching, he would play, and um, that walk from the piano to the pulpit and back to the piano, he said, was the most awkward place, so anyway, well, I put my shoes on and stopped the cord and grabbed the mic, so here we are. Um, I'm going to speak tonight on the story of the Last Supper, and I'm going to read it from the message, which I know is more casual than we normally read, especially if we're used to the King James. But I've been told by biblical scholars that the guy who translated the message was actually pretty legit and knew what he was talking about in both Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all those things. So um, I'm going to read it in the message, and I want you to imagine it in your mind We've heard this story so much that we just kind of, oh yeah, I've heard that story. You know, like, like we've heard the three little pigs or little red riding, you know, those stories, we just know them. Well, this one, we just know the story. So try to imagine it, if possible, like you haven't heard it before. And picture it in your mind. If you want to close your eyes, you can do that or not, whichever. I do have one piece of information that might help the picture in your mind, which is these Roman-era banquets or dinners were not like we have at a table. They're not like we see of da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper where they're all at a table. They actually were around in a U-shape, a square, or you could think of a square with the top cut off of it, um, the table, the food was in the middle, and they were lying on beds. They ate lying down with their head toward the food, laying on kind of their stomach or, you know, one side or the other. I don't know why, but that's what they did. In fact, a little bit of the historical research said that when people first started sitting in context like that, it had to do with the early church, but after this era. So as you're imagining it, think of it as them in this kind of U-shape with their feet sticking out. So John 13, verse 1 says, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Other translations called it a towel, but I kind of doubt that they had the terry cloth towels like we have. So it's probably more like regular cloth, just used for work around the kitchen. So he puts on an apron, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, 
you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted. You're not going to wash my feet, ever. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. This is, this is Peter. We all know Peter. Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. So the next slide is a picture of a banquet at Pompeii. Now, this was first century because Mount Vesuvius buried Pompeii in ash and dust and all kinds of things. Um, I don't know if you remember when I taught big group, I talked about ancient art and how the important people were big and the not important people were small. Um, you can see this little guy up here messing with this guy's shoe. He, he looks like a little, I don't know, a little elf or something because he's so small compared to this important person. He's getting his shoe put on. Um, you got some other guy over here who looks like he's sloshed and is being held in, held up. And you know, you can you can see though that there were big people and little people in this world, and it showed in their art and it showed in a lot of things. Now we in America have this crazy notion that all people are created equal, and that affects are thinking in a good way, I think. Um, but we forget that that is a relatively new concept. And even when it was written, they didn't really mean it. If you were, all men were created equal, as long as you were a white male landowner over 21, you were equal. And even then, you know, there were, merchants, and there were government officials, and there were rich farmers, and then there were cooks, and that kind of thing. So if we can, I want us to kind of lay that idea aside, and I'm going to talk about position and hierarchy and something, a big sociological term called power distance. Now, I have to cite my sources. Um, there's a thing we use for our homeschooling called the Great Courses Plus, and they go around and get college professors and nutritionists and gourmet cooks and such to record classes, 
and you can buy a subscription to it and watch it as much as you want. Um, and I watched one called The Customs of the World by Dr. David Livermore, who's a sociologist. And um, that's where this idea, that in the Bible, comes from. It's called power distance that we're going to talk about tonight. But not everybody does things like America, believe it or not. And that doesn't mean we're right and they're wrong. It just means they're different. And there, the way he approached this course, by the way, if you are interested, there is a 30-day free trial period to the great courses, and you can cancel after that if you want to watch this course. It's called The Customs of the World. Um, but he talks about different criteria of cultures that scholars have defined, and then he applies them to different areas of the world, Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, Anglo cultures, Italian cultures, different areas of the world. Um, for instance, just to get an example of another one besides power distance, is time. Not everyone in the world treats time like Americans do. I know that I've been going for about 10 minutes, and I'm very conscious of that. I don't know if you noticed, but we were a, a few seconds late starting, and we're all like twitching because we're Americans, and we think we have to do everything on time. When we're in Mexico, except for my phone, I didn't see a clock the whole time. We were there for 10 days. Well, there was one hanging on the wall, the common room of the hotel, and it was the right time two times a day because it was stopped. Um, and we started church, and then people showed up. Um, that's how most of the world works. So that's one instance of, of uh, a cultural construct it's different around the world, and it's not right or wrong. Those people tend to be more relational. So if they're having tea with you, and it comes to be church time, they'll continue their tea with you until it's done, and then they'll come to church. It's just a different way of looking at things. Another idea is communication. So if you're in my home, uh, if you say to me, could you get a drink, or could I have a drink, that's a very direct conversation communication. Or if the person hints around and says, are you thirsty? That's a different way of communication. And if you learn to read it, either way works. I was on a plane and a lady from Australia says to her husband, would you like to put my shoes under the chair in front of me? And he gets up and does it. If I said to my husband, would you like to put my, cho my shoes under the chair in front of me? He would look at me and go, no. If you want me to do that, you ask me to do that, and I'll do that. But, okay, so just these different ideas, you know, of how things are done. And believe it or not, everybody doesn't do them like us. And as we have a multicultural church, that becomes important. That's a different topic. But power distance. So what is power distance? It's the distance between the person with the most authority in the society and the person with the least authority. Now, even though in America we have a large income discrepancy, we have this strange notion that a person who's born in one level can become president. Or, or you can lose all your money, and then you'll go down in the power distance. Um, the strength of social hierarchy, or the extent to which the lower-ranking individuals accept that power is distributed unequally. So 
here in America, if we have somebody who is with lower power, they don't expect to be treated like they have lower power. They expect to get all the advantages and maybe even more than someone with more power. Um, but there are places in the world where people who were born in a lower power level expect to stay there. And they also, in one way, expect the people higher up to take care of them. So you end up with these paternal-type societies, patriarchal societies, these kinds of things. It comes out in lots of ways. So if you are working for a company that has an international influence, that you might deal with some of these things. In the workplace, um, how often do you disagree with your boss? Or how often do you tell them what you really think? Or how often do you give them a suggestion even? If you do those things, you are in a low power distance workplace. If you take what your boss says and you obey and you go do it without question, that's a more high power distance workplace. Um, teaching styles, high power distance countries tend to have someone come in and lecture and like download all their information to you because they obviously know more than you do and you take notes and you memorize. And here, the higher up you go in education, the more discussion there will be in a class and your really good classes are the ones where you have a lot of discussion and you have, have students questioning things and asking, challenging and pushing on ideas and that's a very low power distance idea. Even, uh, even language, some places has this built in. We were speaking with our friend Jay, who is Korean, and she is a chemical engineer. She manages, I don't know, 100 people or something. She's, what, late 30s, early 40s, something like that. And she works with a lot of Koreans. This is in Australia. And she was talking about their language because she's fluent in Korean. And she's working with Koreans, so it's more comfortable for them to speak in Korean. And so they will stop their conversation at the very beginning and say, okay, who's older? Because they have to know who's older and who has more authority and who has more power, even though she's the boss, to know what verbs to use and what nouns to use and that kind of thing. In French, you see it, whether you use tu or vous for you. Um, so it's even built into some languages and you can't talk until you figure out who has more power. Um, in America, that's a foreign, foreign concept to us. But in the Bible world, in this context that Jesus was washing feet, this was not a foreign concept. You had the haves and you have nots. And where you were born, you were expected to stay. And there were people with power and people without. And that's just the way it was. And I doubt they even really, most of them, thought about it. If you were born a shepherd, you were going to stay a shepherd, or at least that level. If you were born a king, or a Caesar in that case, that was your level. And it doesn't matter how crazy you got, you could put your horse in the Senate and you'd still be Caesar. Um, so that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, Jesus 
if you look at how he was constantly getting in trouble, you can see that as part of it, they didn't understand that he was God, obviously, and that that has the most power. But otherwise, he was constantly breaking out of his spot as a carpenter. He wasn't supposed to be challenging the scribes or the Pharisees or the priests. He wasn't supposed to be overturning money tables. He wasn't supposed to be breaking the rules that somebody said about washing your hands or all of these things because he was supposed to be this level. Um, One place you see this in Luke 14, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner, hang on a second, one thing that they did is at the dinner table, the most important person was at one end and the least important was at the other, okay? We still see that somewhat, but not too much here. Maybe at a wedding or something, okay? But this was part of their thing. You still might see it in some patriarchal families where the grandpa is at the head of the table and everybody else, you know, there's a kid's table in the kitchen, Um, I've been at the kids' table lots of times. Um, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat's left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. It's kind of funny. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's another example, Matthew 20, 21. What do you want, Jesus asked. This is the mother of James and John coming to ask a favor. What do you want, Jesus asked. She said, give your word that these two sons of mine will be awarded the highest places of honor in your kingdom, one at your right hand and one at your left hand. This was a very high, they were, they were hoping to skip a bunch of levels on the, on the ladder and just climb to the top when he came to build his kingdom. And that is what he used. That word kingdom meant one thing to them, meant something very different to him. So I need 13 volunteers. I need some kids and I need some adults, or at least teens. Okay, Erica's one, Caleb, Omani, Autumn, Jasmine, what's your name? Candace, Tina, uh, Dinah, Kendall, Cassandra, there's 10. Give me three more adults. Okay, come on. Samantha, two more, two more, two more. I'll draft people. Oh, Karen, come on, and Keith. All right. All right, come on and line up here in the front. Excuse me, just a second, I'm going to this down.
these people are pretending to be these things. Now, if we were coming into a banquet in the disciples' era, I want you to organize yourselves from the head of the table to the foot of the table. So look at the person next to you. Think of how powerful you are. Cassandra's going down there. Um, so let's say God is going to be down here, obviously. A peasant child is not the... Go to the foot of the table, peasant child. Okay, this is the... You're going to sit at the, front, at the front seat for just a second, though. So the important people are over here. This is God. Caesar, come here, Caesar. You're right here. You're almost a God. You're, these two could probably, well, you're right there, and the high priest is trying to be a rich a, a second. I think you're probably beneath their scribes, probably right around here. You guys are all like, yeah, we know where we belong. So go right there. The what? The scribes next to the high priest. See, I knew I would get help. Okay. Above the army officer? Okay. <laughs> and see, there's some of that. Too. Okay, let's see. He, let's say he's a Roman scribe. How's that? Does that help? Oh, is he below? Well, okay, this is in the disciples' world, but it is a Roman context. So as long as you're within one or two, um, I'm not going to have a problem with you where you are. I think you did a pretty good job. Okay, so here's what happens. This is Jesus. Yeah, kind of scoot together. Scoot together some. Okay, so Jesus, hold your sign up, Jesus. Jesus is born, not upside down. Well, we don't know if Jesus knew how to read or not, but so you think he did? Yeah, he did because he read, didn't he? Okay, so Jesus is born, and he seems to be in this spot as equal with a carpenter, right? That's where he belongs, or we think he belongs. And then the disciples see over time that Jesus is actually God. So the disciples realize that Jesus is not down there with the carpenters. He's up here with God. And they're all trying to vie to be, you know, Secretary of State or something. <laughs> Secretary of Defense, whatever. You know, they want their spot. And they're at this dinner. Hold on, Jesus. Stay right there. They're at this dinner, and they're eating. And Jesus has been saying these strange things about how he's going he's gonna to go and he's going to die. Surely he's not going to die because he doesn't have his kingdom set up, and they're not secretary of state yet, so he can't do that. So he is at this banquet, and he puts on an apron. Now, when you're above Caesar... You don't put on an apron. I tried to get you a manly one. I wasn't sure who would be who, but can you? There you go. You don't even have to tie it. So he puts on an apron. That You think about that. That's kind of weird. Because if you're wearing an apron, you're doing work. So Jesus at this banquet kind of puts on his apron, and he comes all the way down here, and he says, I... I'm your slave. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm not really your slave, but I'm going to do the things that a servant or a slave would do. And he washed all their feet. 
And then, once that's done, he says, I've done this. You should do this. And he takes off his apron. I don't want to mess up your hair or your glasses, so I'll let you. And then he comes back down here, and he says, he says, if I am God, and I've washed your feet, you are the messengers, and I'm the one with the message. And you are the servers, and I'm the one who's served. If I've washed your feet, in other words, it doesn't matter where in this lineup you are, you're less than me, and I'm telling you, do it. <laughs> he puts back on his God hat, so to speak, and says, serve each other, because I have served you. So I just wanted to visually kind of lay that out for you. You can either keep your cards or put them on the front seat, whatever you want. You can't have my apron, but I already took that. So, so what does this mean to us? Keep your God card, literally. Jesus says in Mark 9, 35, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. So uh, go back one. I don't know if you were showing this earlier, but the one with the regular triangle, Marcus, that's what they were thinking of the social hierarchy in the Gospels. Now go to the one right after the scripture I just read. This is what Jesus was telling them about the hierarchy. The people that are at the top, everything's actually resting on them. And the higher you climb, so to speak, in the kingdom, the more you serve. So if you ever think about it, somebody says, when is your church? You say, our services, our services are at 1030 and 6. Why do we call them services? Well, I don't really know where that started, but the way I think of it is that I'm coming to serve. I'm coming to serve God. I'm coming to serve others. If we're not careful, because we're humans, just a warning, we will get the, I'm the most servantiest of all the servants mentality, because that's how we are, myself included. I read a, uh, I read a biography of Mother Teresa once, and she was criticized for doing this kind of thing. She was serving the poor, but she was serving the poor best and most, so she expected a little bit of better treatment than the other servers of the poor, at least along the end. If we're not careful, we'll climb the ladder. Um, as we get more responsibility and authority, we have to make sure that we're serving more and more and more. Now, just to meddle a little bit, I want to just throw out some examples of ways we can check ourselves. And I am definitely including myself in this because I'm right there with you. In the potluck line, potlucks are great, but they're a great way to check yourself. Do you want to be first in line? 
so you get the best food. I mean, somebody's got to go first. Everybody can't just sit around waiting on everybody else. So I don't want the next potluck, nobody to go first. But um, do you have to be first, or does it really not matter? Where do you sit? Do you sit with people you know, or do you look around for the person that you don't know that maybe doesn't have anybody sitting with us, sitting with them? This isn't middle school lunchroom. Okay, so look around. Do you do that, or do you just see where your best friend is and go sit with them? How much food do you take home, and when do you retrieve it from the kitchen? (laughs) That's a good one. Sorry. Um, If you've got your take-home bag before everybody is through the line, it's probably not a good sign about yourself. Um, When you come into church, you sit in your pew, do you leave your place or the bathroom or wherever you go, do you leave it a little cleaner than it was when you came in? Or do you expect the servants to come clean it up for you? If you see someone else has made a mess, do you come and clean it up? Now, these are the easy things, actually. Um, if you're in a restaurant, you have a waitress who is also known as your server. Are you polite and nice, or are you condescending? Get me a Pepsi. No. Um, That's another way to check yourself. And if they're real busy or if they're just really bad at it, how do you, what's your attitude like? Well, I'm leaving them a one penny tip and writing a rude note on the receipt. Or do you think maybe it's their first day at work? Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe their dog just died. You know, I don't know. Um... When there's a guest at church, you guys are all regulars. You know who the guests are. Do you go up and shake their hands? I know we're introverts. I are one, okay? If, if you're really awkward at church and you know it, this sounds really funny, close your bathroom door, stand in front of the mirror, and come up with a script of what you're going to say to the visitor at church. You don't have to come up with something new every time. Hi, I'm so-and-so. What's your name? It's good to have you here this morning. You don't have to ask their family history. You don't have to ask all their private business. Just say you're glad to have them there. And that's serving. And for us, some of us, that's really, really serving. Are you friendly to grumpy people? Are you the grumpy people? I didn't have that in my notes, but... Are you able to cooperate for the sake of others? If you're always in a fight with somebody, I heard a psychologist say this, if you're always in a fight with somebody, perhaps the problem isn't the somebody. Perhaps the problem is us. I'll put myself in that. If you do have to deal with a conflict situation, do it, do it, do you do it because you're mad? Or do you do it because you want to do unto others? and you want to solve it. As we get deeper, put put it that, not climb the ladder, but as we get deeper into servanthood, sometimes, sometimes the potluck line and the bathroom cleanup is the easiest stuff to do. Sometimes it is the calling someone into accountability when it's your responsibility, and that's really hard. That's harder than cleaning up snotty tissues. I'd rather clean up snotty tissues any day. And 
though that may look like somebody is on a power trip, it may not be. That might be really hard for them to do. Stepping off when your job is done or when your time is done and moving on to something else. When you've been in charge of something for a long time and somebody else comes on, guess what? They're not going to do it just like you did. They might not even do it as well as you did. But turning it over to them, not resentfully, not begrudgingly, not with any jealousy, but letting them have it is serving. And it doesn't look like serving. It looks like unserving, but it is serving. We do have to refill ourselves. Jesus got away from the crowds. He got away to pray. He did that so that he could then be refilled to then pour himself out again. We do need to take a Sabbath. We need to rest. I also don't see Jesus rushing around. You don't see Jesus running from sick person to sick person. He was purposeful. He did rest. He did it so that he could serve. So foot washing is not only an event. It can be an event. But it's so much, so much more than an event. It is a lifestyle. And we should all be foot washing. We should all be serving. I'll give you one last word, one last scripture. This is what Jesus said about mother, uh, the mother of James and John vying for her sons to be Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense. She said, uh, this is what happened. When the ten other disciples heard that James and John had, what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many.